Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. Well, a very good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to another edition of Drive Time right here on 1150 KKNW and hopefully here in a, in a couple of seconds on uh, Facebook and YouTube as well, or at least Facebook. We're trying to get, uh, we're trying to get that going. Unfortunately, this morning, uh, things are a little weird, so we'll see if we can, how we can uh, make this work, but we will make it work. We promise. We are, as promised, live in Spokane, Washington. Uh, I don't know how many other Spokanes there are in the country. I I didn't look before I came out this morning, so um, this may be the only Spokane, although something tells me that somewhere in uh, this great land of ours, this great United States, that there is some other Spokane uh, maybe it's a small town, maybe it's uh, a county or something like that, but it, it would appear to me that maybe. Uh, although, you know, there's, there's, I don't think there's another Seattle. So, I mean, that's kind of, uh, you know, you can always uh, look, look it up, but I just, you know, in, in stream of consciousness radio sometimes. Only one Seattle, but five Spokane's. See, Nathan's on the case. Where are the other Spokane's located? There's a Spokane of Washington, of course, then Spokane right. in South Dakota, Ohio, Missouri, and Louisiana. A Spokane, Ohio. Wow. I have to see now. I, I spent quite a bit of time uh, cruising through Ohio because it was so close to Pittsburgh. So that is interesting that there would be a Spokane, Ohio. Are, are you actually looking at it on the... Uh, on the uh, computer? That's what I got pulled up here. What part of Ohio is Spokane Let's located? See. Let's open up that here. Looks like it's kind of over by, what's that big city? A little bit east of Cleveland. Wow. That's that's really interesting because I went, I used to go to Cleveland many times a year, uh, you know, to go watch, well, at, Always when the Mariners would come to town, I would drive over because Cleveland and Pittsburgh are relatively close to each other. So, uh, you know, it's like a hundred and, I don't know, 110 miles, something like that. Maybe not even that that far away, maybe 90 miles. So like an hour and a half drive from Pittsburgh to Cleveland. And um, hmm, I'm surprised I never, or maybe, you know, with my memory though, Nathan, as we well know, I may have just absolutely forgotten it as opposed to, <laughs> Looks like it's so small, it's not been included in census counts. So I doubt they even have a stop sign there. Well, you know, there's a lot of towns that have one stop sign and that's it. And if you stop, they write you a ticket. <laughs> it's their major source of income. Because somebody actually drove through there. Yeah. There's um, one of my favorite episodes of Superman is one where they set up a speed trap. And um, they moved the town from one place to another so on the highway so that they can, uh, you know, pull people over and put them in a phony jail. And, of course, uh, they pull Lois Lane over and Superman comes to rescue her and busts up the whole operation. But it's actually a pretty funny and interesting uh, Superman TV series. All right, well, we should probably talk a little bit about cars, although before we do that, Nathan, did you watch the World Series last night? I caught a few bits and pieces. I know that it was quite a change of events uh, about halfway through the game. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, a, a lot of people can say if you had anybody else but the Astros, you might have, uh, the Mariners might have won. But, uh, you know, they would have met the Phillies and the Phillies probably would have crushed them. The Phillies, the Phillies seem to be what you want your team to be. Every team you want to be like the Phillies. Bunch of relatively unknown guys with a few known veterans sprinkled in uh some on the way up some on the way down and um just a never never say die attitude really something else they came back in extra innings last night and won uh game one of the world series so that uh, that was exciting an exciting game i didn't see it um 
because I was uh, traveling over to uh, Spokane, not Ohio, but here in Washington. All right, um, let's talk a little bit about cars this morning because um, there's something that we've been talking about on this show that happened yesterday. I don't want to say I'm clairvoyant or that uh, I, I can see the future or anything like this, but you got to think that the handwriting was on the wall for what I am going to tell you next. Um, yesterday, the uh, Ford Motor Company, as well as Volkswagen, pulled out of their um, self-driving unit that they had put together in Pittsburgh to, um, I don't know, to develop self-driving vehicles, uh, taxis and uh, regular cars for you and me and everybody else. And uh, they were working on uh, self-driving Mustangs. So the company, uh, when Ford announced that they would not provide any more after the uh, $2.7 billion that they had, uh, went belly up. No more money to pay anybody. You got to fire people. You got to let people go. 200 jobs in Washington, D.C., in Pittsburgh, in Detroit, and other places where they're testing these Argo cars. They're very distinctive-looking cars, using them mostly as taxis and uh, delivery vehicles. But, I mean, common sense told you that once the shift in priorities for manufacturers went from autonomous cars to electric vehicles, you got to remember that manufacturers, American manufacturers, were not thinking about electric vehicles five years ago. Five years ago, the manufacturers of vehicles were thinking about self-driving cars. That was the focus. Think back five years ago, and all you heard people talking about in the automotive industry is, uh, you know, once Tesla uh, came out with their autonomous uh, car stuff, then everybody had to catch up to Tesla because they saw that Tesla was making money, that people were attracted to the autonomous car thing. But I think I predict that most of these other companies, they don't have the cash to develop electric vehicles and autonomous cars at the same time. It's just too much. You can't, you know, you got to focus right now. The focus has got to be on electric vehicles for these companies. That's where the money is going to be made. That's where the profit is going to be. And so, you know, autonomous vehicles is a nice idea. It's a pipe dream for some people. It's um, a wonderful thing for other people. Uh, the concept is great. But the reality is it's it's far away. I don't think that we will see it in regular use in our lifetimes in passenger vehicles. I mean, you may have trucks that, uh, that are autonomously uh, driven. And you may have, uh, I don't think they're just going to walk away from all the robo-taxi stuff. Somebody's going to come in and swoop up the, uh, the, the skeleton of the robo taxis but by and large uh it's it's just too much of a load you can't have you can't be going in in all that different direction with that major of a change in project at one time i i don't think i mean you know maybe there's uh you know maybe uh other companies can do it other countries can do it right now we are um you know we're in that space where the focus is on electric vehicles, is on, uh, as probably rightly it should be, on trying to do something about um, energy sustainability, to try to do something about uh, global warming, to try to do something about these immediate problems that are facing us, and also um, trying to do something about uh, uh, people's, um, you, you know, again, these electric cars, much less in moving parts, much less in problems, even though they do have their problems, uh, that, you know, and, and the biggest problem right now is infrastructure. 
but that's going to get ironed out. And I suspect it's going to get ironed out pretty quickly. It needs to be. Um, I drove over here last night, and there's one level three charger between Seattle and Spokane in Moses Lake. And I'm telling you right now, if you're coming over, it don't work. You got to fix that. You, you have to have some uniformity of how the vehicles are charged, the quickness in charging them, and so on and so forth. And I think that's going to come. I think the electric car thing has exploded bigger than anybody thought it would. You have Elon Musk to blame for that or to thank for that, depending on which way you want to go. Although he's too busy with uh, Twitter right now. So he's not, uh, you know, he's not, I don't know how much he's concentrating on cars, but he's a guy that seems to be able to do a number of things at the same time. He can go to space. He can get on Twitter. Uh, he can provide a, a battery system for your house. And he can do Tesla cars. So he seems to uh, to have something going. Um, coming up in the show in just uh, a few minutes, Jill Simonello is going to join us from uh, Pickup Truck and SUV Talk, as well as one of the participants in this year's uh, Rebel Rally, and I'm going to ask her again because I always screw this up every year. Rebel or Rebel? I think it's Rebel. Uh, but uh, certainly a great race that was uh, uh, run through the California and Nevada desert uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jill and her partner, as well as uh, one of the other regulars uh, that you hear on this show, Mercedes Lilienthal, uh, also participated in the Rebel. So We'll talk to her, find out uh, how the rally was this year, and also, uh, you know, being as a pickup truck uh, a person that writes a lot about pickup trucks, we can uh, question Jill about our next subject. And our next subject would be Nathan. Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Oh, Nathan, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> You know, to refresh my memory, why did we record that? Why don't we just have you say that live? That's a good question. I like to hear the little beeps and then the cars, you know, turning on in the background. You know, okay. unlocking okay. and getting that car up and running. Okay, That's what so this segment is about. Like, yeah, it's not like it's a, we didn't trust you to say it right all the time or anything like that. It was, it was purely just that you like hearing a car start. Just a little spice it up. All right. You know, we could have you at some point, Nathan, just run downstairs in the studio with a microphone and start your car up. And then it would truly be Nathan in his car asking me, uh, yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Hey, there we go. Need to get that remote start feature on my car or something. Yeah, we should uh, we should figure that out. That would be fun. Or we could just leave it all the way it is, not mess with it and move on to um, <laughs> to what I'm driving this week. I have to borrow my brother's uh Ford Mustang GT. Ah, but you know, that's a heavenly sound. <laughs> I can tell you, he's not the only one that knows it starts up in the morning when he gets up to go for work. Do the neighbors complain? Uh, he's got a little daughter to, you know, keep in mind. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, the, oh, the darn kids, they always get in the way of our cars. What are we going to do about that? Well, right, actually, she's like driving a Ford Mustang now. Oh, she's got one of them little Ford Mustangs? Yeah, like a little Ford Mustang walker. Well, you know, trader. those things are back. The little Ford Mustangs and the little electric cars, uh, which of which my two nephews have a couple, are back this year, I believe, in... Uh, I'm trying to think of which catalog. But remember last year, we talked about them around this time of year. They had the... Uh, the mini Aston Martin DB5 that you could own, or the James Bond car mm -hmm. that you could own for, I think it was a hundred and something thousand dollars. So you could, uh, without a doubt, you could, you know, uh, you could buy one of those if he wanted to get her a, uh, a little Aston Martin DB5 and has a spare. 100,000 lying around. You could do that. Anyway, what am I driving this week? 
I am driving uh, a car that I have waited uh, a long time to drive. I am driving the Ford F-150 Lightning. And the F-150 Lightning is, uh, as the name implies, uh, an F-150 pickup truck, except that it is completely and totally, absolutely, undisputedly powered by electricity. There is no gasoline needed or required to run this vehicle. It is um, the, the subject of much controversy in the vehicle world because, uh, you know, a, a pickup truck, an electric pickup truck, flies in the face of a lot of the political stuff that's around electric vehicles. You know, most uh, people, not most people, well, let me take that back. Some people see electric vehicles as, you know, a, 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 a left-wing liberal type of conspiracy. To, and, you know, just as many people on the left see big pickup trucks as, you know, uh, the yippee-i-o-k-i-a cowboys. And I don't think either is true, to be honest with you. I don't think the yippee that everybody drives a pickup truck is a yippee-i-o-k-i-a cowboy. You know what I think that everybody drives an electric vehicle is a, a left-wing liberal. I think there's, uh, you know, sometimes we got to get off of, of that stuff and just realize that people buy cars not because of their politics, but because of what their needs are. That's the way the car business is going. If you are a farmer and you need a pickup truck that's going to tow a tractor 500 miles, you're probably not going to buy an electric pickup truck. But if you are somebody who uses a pickup truck to scoot around town and throw stuff in the back from Home Depot, take it home, like delivery service uh, or something like that, an electric pickup truck is going to be right in your uh, wheelhouse. Uh, it's going to be uh, an incredible tool for you because you're you're going to be freed up from um, gasoline. There are a couple of electric pickups out on the market now, and we'll talk more about them. But uh, again, back to the Ford F-150. Uh, it's a fantastic vehicle. I mean, it really is technologically advanced. Uh, it certainly is different than any pickup truck I have ever driven. I have not driven the Rivian yet. I'm interested in in driving that, seeing that vehicle as well. But uh, the Ford is, um, is, you know, from all intents and purposes, as you look at it from the outside, if it didn't have the blue lightning um, logos on it, you probably might not realize that it's an electric truck. Uh, they've taken a lot of care to hide its, you know, it, it, its electric identity. But as soon as you open the hood, you find out that it's different because there's no engine in there. You know, usually you open that hood and there's a big honking engine, you know, a 460 diesel with, uh, you know, a 10-speed Cummings and everything like that. Well, there's nothing under the hood. As a matter of fact, you don't even have a hood. Ford calls it a frunk. Like, get the frunk out of here. Like, go frunk somebody. Uh, it is a, um, it's, it's a, where the engine would be is a trunk. And Ford takes special care to make sure that you know that you can fit two bags of golf clubs in that frunk. Uh, when you open it right there on the, uh, um, uh, right, right on the support, there's a picture of two golf bags. So they know who their audience is. They know who they're, uh, they're looking for. And, uh, you know, as you go through the truck, as I said, very technologically advanced, uh, all of the different kinds of items that you might want in a pickup truck uh, and some that you've probably never thought about and never seen, including... Um, a neat little device that tells you how much weight you have in the truck. Yes, it has a scale in the truck that can tell you how much weight you've put in your truck. I've never seen that before. I don't think it's going to put the scale people out of business, but certainly a handy tool if you um, don't want to go over 
your uh, GVWR, or your gross vehicle uh, rating. Uh, another couple of interesting things is lighting, is the uh, interior. You have the large screen in, in the middle. Uh, you have uh, you know huge nav system that tells you where charges are. Uh, it really is a spectacular vehicle. And again, I've just had it a couple of days. I just drove it across Washington. And again, we run into the same problem that we have run into with other electric vehicles, and that is the charging infrastructure. And you have to hope, and, and, and if you want to participate in an electric vehicle, you have to hope that they get this infrastructure stuff going because it really is coming up on a time when more and more people are getting on the roads to these things and more and more people are finding that you know, that uh, that they can be in certain places like Moses Lake, Washington, difficult to find a place to charge. It's not the vehicle. It's the system that you need to charge the vehicle is what you wind up, what they wind up coming up short with. I mean, there should be a charger, a multiple charger in every rest area back and forth. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that eventually there will be, but a rest area or different places. There should be at least one at every exit that has gas stations. Matter of fact, gas stations should have them. So, but two quick things, and we'll talk to Jill Simonillo about the lightning uh, as well in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, that, that with the lightning is the, the torque, the speed, the pulling power of this truck is off the charts. Now, the model I'm driving has two motors, one for the front, one for the rear, which make it an all-wheel drive. And I got to tell you, you hit that gas and bada-boom, man, that thing takes off like a rocket. Um, I've driven some pretty high-powered pickup trucks in my life. And I don't know that I've ever driven anything that's dropped me back in the seat uh, as much as uh, this Ford Lightning. It really is uh, unbelievable what kind of torque, how quickly it gets up to speed, all of that kind of stuff. It really is uh, unbelievable how quickly uh, they make these, uh, they, they make this truck, how fast they make the truck. It's almost... I don't know, maybe in some cases it might be too fast. You know, sometimes you want that old six-cylinder banger that, you know, three on the tree and it's just nice and easy, but, you know, it just has enough power to pull, uh, you know, Gussie off the road if she gets on the road and won't come off. Uh, Gussie being the cow that we always see on the road when we're driving in certain uh, areas. We want Gussie to be safe. And be happy, but a spectacular vehicle. We'll tell you more about it uh, in uh, the drive time road test uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, it beautiful color, beautiful dark blue color, spectacular vehicle. And uh, I'm I'm really excited that uh, some people over here in Spokane are going to get an opportunity to see it tonight um, and and take a look at uh, the the fine work that Ford has done on this vehicle. Um, it, it really is something to uh, a, a, a marvel of engineering. All right, um, let's. What do you say we uh, we have a chance here to uh, welcome in one of our uh, dear oldest friends? I don't mean old in age; I just mean old in the fact that uh, length of friendship. Uh, Jill Simonillo from uh, Pickup Truck and SUV Talk, and also uh, finisher of the. Now I got this right. Tell me, Jill Rebel Rally. Yes. Okay. I, I, I go back and forth. I even got to tell you a funny story. I actually wrote a song about the Rebel Rally, uh, which I'm I'm going to send to you at some point. Uh, <laughs> because I know that you and, and uh, you know, my friend Mercedes Lilienthal, who, is, who also participated in the rally, love to have songs written about you. But it's... Uh, <laughs> It goes to the tune of, of He's a Rebel, and it's called She's a Rebel. So we'll, uh, we'll, make, that, we'll make that work for you. How are I you? I love it. <laughs> good, good. I'm still in recovery mode, but um, finally catching up on my sleep and um, feeling pretty good. Yeah, that was, that was quite a feat for those who – I know we talked about it over the last couple of weeks, but just in case you're from Mars and you're tuning into the show for the first time – 
uh, Jill and uh, several women participate in an event called the Rebel Rally, which takes place every year. I believe this was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the 10th or the 9th or something like that? 7th. This was Ste- the 7th year. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, some, I have double vision sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is a race that is uh, open to women. And uh, where women partner up, it's it's a rally, really, more than a mm-hmm. race, because you have to use your skills of navigation uh, to get through this. But it is amazing to me how in the seven years that it's been going, it has grown from uh, a gathering of women in the automotive uh, involved in cars one way or the other and uh, rally racing to uh, a nationally looked at event. And you got to participate in it for this, this is your second time, right? Or was it your, your first? You're a rookie. That's yes, right. I'm a rookie. This is my first time. So how was this experience for you? It was awesome. Um, you know, the, Emily Miller and her team set up a really amazing competition. And, um, you know, they don't call it a race. It is a competition. Um, and this year they started calling it a game. Um, and that kind of put things a little bit more in perspective because I think sometimes the competition gets a little bit heated, but you're just, you're playing a game, you're having fun. And it, it, you know, as you said, it's all about your navigational skills and you're putting your wits to the test. They, uh, they disable the GPS in your vehicle before you start. They take away your cell phone. I mean, they had to like drag it out of my clawed hands. Yeah, yeah, Um, Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. No. And so um, and then what they do is every day you wake up and they give you something like anywhere from 19 to like 30 longitude and latitude points that you have to plot on a map using, you know, um, map rulers. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to use a plotter and, uh, you know, to get your headings and your bearings and all that kind of stuff and your distance. And um, then you go find those points. And so it's kind of like a scavenger hunt in a way. So yeah. back to the whole game theory. Uh, but but here's the thing. So sometimes you get this big, beautiful green flag and you're like, yes, I hit it. This is my this is my point. And then sometimes you'll get a, a big, beautiful blue flag and you'll be like, yes, I hit it. But no, it's the wrong one <laughs> because <laughs> they put two right next to each other. And you have to go find the right blue flag or the right blue. Sometimes they'll just do like a, a four foot high post in the ground in the field behind a tree someplace. And you have to go find that thing. But if you plotted your latitude and longitude points correctly and you are going the right distance, you'll be able to find it. But then, but wait, there's more. But so then there's like the black checkpoints which are not marked at all. And you just have to, again, completely trust that you plotted the point correctly, that you went the distance. And um, then you stand on the location where you think the checkpoint is and you click your tracker um, to see if you are right or not. And um, if you're right, you get points. If you aren't right, you get uh, points taken away. So um, it was, it, it was, that was really hard, but it was it was a great experience. I I thought um, camping was going to be the hardest part because I don't like cold weather. And so right. I was really worried about being cold at night while I was sleeping. And I bought a whole bunch of battery powered, uh, you know, heated things like blankets, socks, mittens, because I was really worried about that. And I probably over prepared there and that was fine. But it was um, the navigating, especially when you're in like an, an open area or um, a dune area was really tough because it's you're like, OK, I need to go 43 degrees in in, in this direction and it, I need to go seven kilometers. Well, between where you are and seven kilometers, there's like a mountain or a sand dune or something. And so, you know where you need to go straight to get to the point. Right. But but trying to figure out how to go around that point and stay on track was really tough. It, it gives you, I would think, a really good new appreciation for the people who landed on the east coast of this country yeah. and made it to the west coast with, with no roads, no highways, no nothing. It just somehow, you know, Lewis and Clark uh yeah. immediately come to mind i mean he, there was no road signs there was nothing they were navigating rivers and looking yeah. at the moon and the stars and trying to figure out you know how do i get where am i going how do i get there they yeah. noticed they wanted to see another ocean they knew there was another ocean out there somewhere but they had no idea when you when you take away the nav stuff when you have to rely on 
your senses. I, I, I'd imagine it's not only challenging, but must give you when you get to that flag that's yours, an immense feeling of, of boy, I'm, I'm a little smarter than maybe I thought I was. Right. Um, or I'm a little bit more stupid than I thought I was. But um... <laughs> yeah. I was going with the smart. <laughs> but thank, <laughs> thank you for, for giving me the benefit of the, of the doubt. Um, no, I mean, you you after. So this is um, an eight day competition. And like day day zero, they call it is basically your prologue day. They let you keep your phone um, on your practice day, but you're not supposed to use it. And um, because you're you're trying to get your bearings and figure out how this whole thing works. And, um, and then you have seven days of actual competition and we were in what they call the X-Cross class. So, um, sport utility vehicles, all wheel drive, not four by four, um, capability. And there were only eight people in our class and we were driving a Hyundai Santa Cruz, which by the way, was amazing to sit in for seven days or eight days, ten days, really. I Um, I know people don't call it a truck, but I call it a truck. I I call it a truck too. It's, yeah, it's a little exactly. mini pickup truck, but it um it was it was amazing and it it had really comfortable seats. It we added a one inch lift to it. Um, we did I think it was trucks T R U X X X did our lift. We had um a a bumper bar put on by Rally Innovations. We um we did they because they rip out your um, GPS. Uh, Bose um, provided us with music, <laughs> wow. you know, on a USB port, but um. But the truck itself was great. So the one inch lift really helped. The bumper bar helped. And um, we were able to go over some pretty tricky obstacles. And we weren't obviously doing the same stuff as the four by four class. We had different checkpoints. But right. there were some really tough things that we did. And 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 I was so impressed with the truck as well as the as the competition. How, how did the uh, and we're, tra- we're talking to Jill Simonilla from uh, Pickup Truck and SUV Talk, and also a finisher of the Rebel Rally that uh, took place uh, earlier this month. Um, what as, as as a person who reviews cars, you get a chance to do something like this, and you do it in what many people don't consider a traditional pickup truck, but a, a Santa Cruz. And again, uh, you and I are on the same page on this. It's a truck. Uh, what did you learn about what you do uh, and, and these vehicles from this that, that you carry through to now getting back in other trucks and cars and reviewing them? Is there something that is a as a reviewer you learned with this experience? Well, so first off, um, I think you learn the vehicle is a lot more capable than you think it is um, and, and can do more things. Because like as a reviewer, I'm usually I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I can't park there. I can't put it there. I can't go off road here because I'm trying to protect the car. But they give you these plot points and you've got to go get it. And, you know, Hyundai gave us the car knowing that it was not going to come back pristine. And so you do a little bit of a Hail Mary occasionally like, okay, I'm going to go up this hill or I'm going to go down this hill. I'm going to do this thing. And we're just going to be like, here's to hoping it's all right. And um, the truck could really do a lot more than what you think it does. But um in terms of general like driving experience, uh, I think the one thing that it really, really, I, and I did this anyway, but it just kind of drives it home and hones it, is how far ahead you have to look. Because when you're driving in an off-road situation, your tendency is to look right over the hood of the vehicle at right. every bump, groove, you know, whatever in the road. But you also need to to look ahead to keep your eye on the point that you're trying to go to or, you know, if there are any other like we were in complete open areas. There were um, cows, you know, there were things crossing the field and you can't like just shoot forward and look down and hope that you're not going to hit anything. So, right. you know, what it really did is it taught me to like look down, look up you know, look down, you know, look really far afield. So kind of like just getting that all around sense and being very aware of of what's going on around you. And I mean, I'm a pretty aggressive, defensive driver as it is, but I have to say this probably made me a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more defensive um, because of just, you know, being so focused and looking up, down, all around and just being so aware. I mean, I I definitely think it's going to help me with driving in Chicago. (laughs) Right. I was going to say, you drive uh, primarily in Chicago, which is, I mean, I've driven in Chicago. It's a zoo. Um, You know, it's it's one of those cities. There's, There's two or three cities in the United States uh, well, you don't drive, you aim, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and you hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, 
and and Chicago, New York, and L.A. really, uh, and San Francisco really is 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 insane uh, to drive in at times because you have all these people who move there from Chicago and New York and L.A. and they're all driving their own styles, and you're trying plus to throw the hills in to make it interesting. So it's it, it, that's the kind of thing that uh, that you take with you. That's a very good thing. It probably makes you a bit of a uh, I don't want to say safer driver, but like you say, more aware of of mm-hmm. what's further up the road. See, I, I get something like that from in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the number one state for hitting deer. More oh, deer God. are killed in Pennsylvania than any other state. And so when I would drive at night through Pennsylvania, when I lived in Pittsburgh, coming back from New York, you really had to train yourself at night to look yeah. ahead down the road to see if anything with two eyes was looking at you. And uh, knock on wood, you know, or for Michael, there's some wood. Um, you know, never never hit anything. And and I, I, I really attribute that to what Cadillac is trying to do and GM is trying to do with uh, the Super Cruise and all of that kind of stuff is is give you a vision of what's going on down the road further than you would uh, you would believe. Because the world, as I always say to people, the world does not stop when you step on the brake. Nope. <laughs> Everything nope. else keeps moving. Yep. Uh, so it was fun. Will you do it again? Yes. Um, and so my partner was Kristen Shaw, um, and uh, she's another automotive journalist. And uh, she was the perfect partner. And we worked really well together with both the driving and the the navigating. Because what we did, so a lot of times you go into the situation, one person's the driver, only one person's the navigator. Um, right. But we switched back and forth every day. And in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it was it was hard because you get off of your groove um, of what you're doing. But it was also really good because Kristen and I look at things differently. And and so, like, I would be seeing something and I'd be like, hmm, I think I'm seeing this. Can you just look at this and see if you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing? And then she would look at it and she'd be like, hmm, I think I'm seeing this. And then we could talk about it and we'd come with, up with a solution or what we were looking at. So you get these really small, well, they're not small, they're like three feet wide maps, but but the, they're they're 100 scale, 100,000 scale. So like we had magnifying glasses that we're looking at these maps with trying to see, are, is this a trail? Is it a road? Is it a railroad track? Is it a power line? Um, because, you know, you can often drive along power lines. You cannot often drive along, you know, on the railroad tracks. Right. So, so it's like, can we go here to get to there or what what should we be looking for? And so, I mean, having another set of eyes and having somebody who understood what I was looking at was really helpful. So I don't I don't know that I would want to do this with somebody who didn't understand both sides because right. you know somebody might be better at driving on the dunes and so you you know you switch that day or somebody you know might be better with um you know another kind of driving or another navigational situation and and so for me it was just really helpful that we both understood what was going on and understood both sides and um you know she was a great partner so the, the really that was a really long answer to your short question are we going to do it again and yes we would like to do it again right. Um, and, uh, we want to do it next year. So we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. We can do it next year. Well, I'll, I'll call Subaru and uh, Subaru, listen to me, uh, Hyundai, <laughs> tell them to get you, you know, get, get you fixed up because, put, uh, put, put in a good word for me. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I, from my perspective, they got a lot of good press out of it because you guys were all over social media. The race is now, now that you can watch the race and, you know, they have it. I mean, I, I can imagine that, uh, you know, some sports channel somewhere is going to pick this up at some time soon and actually broadcast it or parts of it live. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's a big enough audience for something like that, or, you yeah. know, at least getting it down into a two hour uh, show or something like that. Uh, you know, in, in these days where cable channels are screaming for content, uh, yeah. it, it seems to me, to me to be a natural no brainer uh, for, for, for people that, that might not be familiar with, wh- where was the uh, contest, run what uh, what area did you guys go through uh, so it's different every year um and they do that on purpose because they don't want anybody to get used to or like learn the areas uh, but this year we started in the Lake Tahoe area so we had um, our um, first couple of nights were in a hotel at Incline Village um, and then we left offsite um, to go camping for day zero and um, then we had like four different base camps. 
And we went from the Lake Tahoe area all the way down to the Imperial Sand Dunes down in the Glamis area. And um, I'm like, oh, I, well, I, I, yeah, I actually have a map that shows like I'll have to put it on my like Facebook page or the stories that shows like how far we drove. But um, sixteen hundred miles we drove um, over uh, seven days in the space of probably. You know, because you again, you're not just going on a straight line, you're going around and doing all stuff. So it's probably a yeah. a 900 mile space. You're doing 1600 miles. It's pretty, yeah. pretty incredible. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you did it. I'm glad that we got to follow you along. I'm glad I found the app actually to follow you along too. And, and it, it just sounds like you had a, a ton of fun doing it. You're the perfect person to do this. Uh, you know, yeah. from what I know of you, you just, I, I could see somebody wanting to spend six days in a car with you you'd be you know <laughs> it doesn't always happen you know you get in cars yeah. with people and we know because we go on these yeah. uh, programs and you get in a car with somebody and you go hey they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no names here but <laughs> you well, know so hopefully Kristen's still on yeah i mean we've been talking about doing it again so i feel like um she thought i was okay to spend um unloaded amounts of, or yeah unlimited amounts yeah, of time we, think, we were we were together a really long time <laughs> yeah i think you guys probably had a had a good life experience at us right well, i want to shift gears with you for the couple of seconds that we have left and talk a little bit about this uh this truck i'm driving the ford lightning f150 or the f150 lightning in your yep. capacity as um uh what is your exact type editor you've got you're not just you're not just a, a writer. You're, you're you're like up the up the ladder somewhere. Yeah, managing editor is is managing the official editor. title. There yeah. you go. So, um, I'm driving it. I love it. I like it, and I I raise an eyebrow about some things about it. What did uh, what did you think when you drove this truck? I loved it. Um, and and so like there's one of the really great things about the F-150 Lightning is it's really like the regular F-150, you know, the, how you adjust the, the, the seats, um, the adjustable pedals, the little kick down in the side window for great visibility out of the windows. Um, it looks, it doesn't look funky. It doesn't look like, I mean, you've got the light bar going across the front, but it looks like an F-150. It drives the way you think an F-150 should. So that's all really good for somebody who is trying to make the transition from gas to electric. Right. Um, I think that we still, uh, as a society, and this isn't an F-150 problem, an F-150 Lightning problem, we as a society still have a problem with the charging infrastructure. And yeah. um, because everybody is like, oh, I'm having range anxiety. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not range anxiety. It's not a range problem. It's it's a charging problem. And, yeah. um, you know, my, my boss, Tim Esterdahl, lives in Nebraska. And he actually just had the F-150 Lightning in Nebraska, and he was like literally having heart palpitations, I think, every day driving this truck. He, he installed a home charger just to get this test vehicle, um, and he charged every day, but he had to go to Denver. Um, and he's not in Omaha. He's in a little piddly town. I shouldn't say that. That wasn't nice. But a small town in uh, called, I want to say it's called Goering, Gearing, Goering, um, but it's in the middle of nowhere. There are no charging stations anywhere by nearby. And, and, and so for him, like he had to get to a full charge before he got to Denver to find like, and I think maybe there was one place where he could charge up, but at any rate, it was not a good experience for him. And so people who live in charging deserts, it's a problem. Now I live in Chicago. I don't have an at-home charger because I rent, but there is a, an Electrify America station a half mile from my house all good things. I'm going to be getting, I, so I've driven the uh, F-150 Lightning at a couple of events. I haven't had it at home yet, but I'm going to be getting it in a couple of weeks and really looking forward to it because I'm going to drive it down to my parents' house. And my parents live in Indianapolis and I've already pre-scouted the situation. There's an Electrify America station. So like I said, a half mile from my house, there's another one that is in Lafayette, Indiana, which is about 160 miles away. So I'm just like, okay, so I can you know, get to Lafayette and I can charge and then I can get to my parents' house. And then um, I found that there's a um, two miles from their house is, or maybe it's like three miles, but like close to where they live at a grocery store, there's another Electrify America station. So I can like get back up to a hundred percent and then, you know, I can go and get to uh, probably stop in Lafayette again, charge back up and then get all the way home. But, um, and because 
I-65 is um, not um, a 55 mile an hour <laughs> highway. It's 70. It's 70 yeah. miles an hour. So um, you're not going to be going where they test these optimally to say, oh, you're going to have 320 miles of range. No, I'm probably only going to have 280, maybe, you know, 250 miles of range just because of the speeds that I'm going to be driving. And it's cold outside. Right. Right. The one thing I noticed last night is is uh, driving over from Seattle over to Spokane uh, is the two things you just talked about, the lack of the charging infrastructure and good charges. You know, even within the charging infrastructure, just because there's a it says a charger on the map, sometimes you get there and the charger is broken or it's uh, it's one of these uh, Jagunda off brand chargers, uh, you know, that. Uh, or you have to call a company and a customer service. They, they they have to fix all of that if they want to get people into these trucks. But the the, the truck itself is is good. It's a, it's a great truck. I, I think you're going to love it. Yeah. It's it's definitely unique. It's got a lot of. T- I love the scale where you put something in the bed of the truck and it yeah. tells you how much it weighs so that you don't go over. Uh, you, you know, there's so many neat things that Ford has put into this truck that it's really. Yeah. Um, from the driving standpoint, you're right. It's just like a regular F-150, but from the I love toys standpoint, uh, yeah. you know, that this is a Christmas morning's worth of stuff in the truck that you can play with and learn about. Almost almost overload. O- almost gets to the point of being like a, a little too much at times. But, uh, you know, we're in them for a week. People buy them and they have years to figure out what everything right. is. By the time you... You trade it in, in, in uh, you know, five or ten years, whatever, you'll probably figure out almost everything that they put in there for you. And what, right. what you haven't, they'll update for you. So, um, And it'll be interesting to see now with Rivian out, Chevy on the way, and, and um, uh, other electric pickups. I guess I've seen some spy shots of a Ram. Everybody's going to have skin in this game pretty soon, uh, it looks like. And it'll be interesting to see. Who can, or did I mention Tesla? Uh, <laughs> Tesla what? Cybertruck what? Uh, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch which ones rear their head. And it'll be fun to watch America make the, you know, if, if America really does make the transition from gasoline-powered trucks, the coast, they're going to do it because the, the yeah. infrastructure is partially there. Some big Chicago, Kansas City. Uh, Omaha, they probably have enough infrastructure there, but it's like it's like Tim, it's like the people in these uh, you know places like Moses Lake, Washington, that you're going to have to win over. And until somebody can can plug their truck in when they go to the store and and right. be able to go in do their shopping and come out, it's going to be a tough sell for those people. Uh, well, and there's there's actually one more problem with electric trucks right now, and um, and that's the 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 idea of hauling and towing, um, because range obviously when you put heavy stuff with this vehicle decreases exponentially. And if you so if you're just going to be like you live in Chicago and you have a boat and you're going to put it in the lake, okay, you're driving five miles to go put it in the lake. That is not a problem. But if you are, you know, living in L.A. and you want to tow your boat to Michigan, like that's a bigger problem because one, you have to plan um, your route the entire way. And two, you're going to be stopping every hundred miles to charge while you're towing. And then three, let's talk about the fact that um, these charging stations that are popping up are not pull throughs. So what do you do with your boat or your trailer? When right. you need to like back in, pull in or whatever to to charge while you're towing. So short range towing and hauling isn't going to be an issue. I can see it for use in cities. But like your truck guys who are going to be hauling like horse trailers, boats, whatever, they are going to be your last adopters because the infrastructure has to be there. And the range while towing has to be, I would say, at least... 200 or 300 miles you need to you need to have like incredible range while you're towing and then um the fast charge capability is going to have to be there because people don't want to sit there for 45 minutes while they're you know in in a walmart parking lot by the way because that's where a lot of the electrify america stations are so 
it's just, okay, what is there for me to do here in a Walmart parking lot? Nothing except for sit in my truck and wait for it to charge. Exactly. So, or go to Walmart and buy yourself a big bag of popcorn and sit yeah. there and watch it, you know. But every every hour, you're going to have to do that. And that's a lot of popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and you're going to be 600 pounds by the time you get yeah. to your destination, not be able to yeah. climb into the boat. I could see that happening. That would be a you problem. Know, it's, it, it's always good to see you. Uh, again, congratulations on finishing the Rebel and, uh, you know, a spectacular following you along. And you can find Jill, of course, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, and, of course, at Pickup Truck and SUVtalk.com, where you can find out everything you want to know about pickup trucks and a lot of stuff you didn't know because they know it first and they're willing to tell you about it. Maybe. It's always a good thing, right? It is. It is. Good to see you, my friend. Take care. And have, uh, if I don't talk to you before, have a happy Thanksgiving. Yep, happy Thanksgiving to you, and thanks for having me on. All right, no problem, Jill. Thanks a lot. One of my favorite right. guests, Jill Simonillo, joining us here on Drive Time Radio. What do you say we get right to the cartoon? We lost Cherry Lee Lewis yesterday, uh, one of the pioneers of rock and roll. And, of course, you know, and I know, we all know that he had a cartoon, a car song that he wrote back in the 80s, I believe it was. It was about uh, those who buy old police cars. And turn them into their family car. Crown Victoria. Here's Jerry Lee Lewis on this morning's cartoon. There he goes off into the night. Jerry Lee Lewis uh, passing away yesterday at uh, 80, 87 years old. Uh, that's a, lot, a lot. Let me tell you, he got a lot of the, out of those 87 years, that's for sure. And uh, Crown Victoria 51, that is, uh, of course, our cartoon of the week brought to you in the hopes that. Uh, You'll put some music on in your car because cars and music go together so well. All right, that is going to get ready to wrap it up. I want to remind you that uh, next week uh, we will uh, be talking about the Seattle Auto Show, which is coming to town. Uh, we'll be setting up in, uh, as we did last year, at the Auto Show. and invite you to come on down and say hello. We'll do our show live from there in two weeks. And uh, a lot of fun, uh, a, a lot of electric cars, if that's getting your interest going, uh, that you can go there and, and compare and look at them side by side, and I can tell you about them as well. We want to thank uh, everybody that uh, helps put this show together here on KKNW, including Nathan, our producer. Uh, uh, we are uh, this week uh, live in the studios of, uh, of, what is this, American Graphics. Yes, in the studios of American Graphics. That's where we are. And, of course, thanks to our good friend George Jackson, who also helps this uh, show roll out to you. We'll see you next week if the Lord's will and the creek don't rise right here on Drive Time Radio on 1150 KKNW. Have a good week.